this year I went to um, the Philippines, oh, last year, last year into this year, I went to the Philippines with my family and we came across this really interesting shop. Tim, do you want to put one of the, the first screen up? It was a shop that showed um, different brands of T-shirts but they warped them a little bit so that they were not what they originally were. Does anyone know what the cute face was originally? The North Face. Changed it to the cute face. That one came home and then there was another one. <laughs> so I'm sitting in front of some of you, aren't I? What was that one originally? Craft. Became fast. They were really, really clever and there was a whole lot of other ones that I ju you just looked at and you, sometimes you had to look at them and go, what was it originally and what's it become? When I think about brand Jesus, I sometimes think if there was a logo or a brand to represent Jesus and what Jesus was on about, I wonder what it would be if it was a logo, a slogan. What would it be? And then it made me start thinking about what do we sometimes distort it to be? As followers of Jesus, how do we sometimes perhaps give the wrong image of who Jesus is? and what Jesus is like. I love listening to talkback radio. I sometimes think I should have been a tradie because then I could listen to it all day long. But I love just listening to hear what people call in and have to say. But every now and again, there's one of those Christians, one of those God followers that call in and I just cringe. I think, oh no, don't say that. Oh, oh, really? Would you say that on radio? And I just go, oh no, oh. Have you ever heard that? And you just sort of cringe at what they're saying. Not so much because of what they believe, but the way they're portraying what they believe. They seem so dogmatic and black and white and critical and judgmental. And you just go, oh, turn them off. There was a guy I heard about just this week on Talkback Radio, a man who was attempting to sue the restaurant because when he bowed his head to pray and say grace, he burnt his face because the meal was too hot. <laughs> Only in America. But you just go, I hope he wasn't praying to Jesus. I hope it was someone else. But, but we didn't hear all the details of the story, but I couldn't help but going, my goodness, you've just distorted a view of Jesus if you were praying to Jesus. How can you do that? It, it doesn't match up. It doesn't quite work. I've heard this set of Christians or followers of Jesus. They're judgmental, homophobic, moralists who think they are the only ones going to heaven and secretly relish in the fact that everyone else is going to hell. No, 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 no. That's a distorted, a distorted image of who Jesus is and who followers of Jesus are. That's not what it was meant to be at all. If you're here this morning... And maybe you've been judged by followers of Jesus. Maybe you've been hurt by the things that someone has said to you about you or pointed a finger at you. I hope today that maybe you may see a different glimpse. You may see what God really is like, not just from the judgmental torments that you've experienced, but you would see that there's an amazing, loving God out there who loves you as an individual, just like Zach shared this morning loves you for who you are and how you are. 
You know, we have a wide variety of beliefs as Christians. We could even just look at our, our community here today and would have various views and opinions on biblical topics or theological views. So how do we gather a whole variety of views and hone into what would be one particular thing that could be a logo or something to represent Jesus from a large variety of views. I think if there was to be one thing, one trademark, one specific thing that would mark followers of Jesus as being different, it would need to be their extraordinary love. Thanks, Tim. There's a verse in the Bible that says this in the book of John. It says, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now you may go, oh, here we go, love. Wishy-washy, lovey-dovey, soppy love. I'm not talking about that sort of love. When Jesus said, I give you a commandment to love one another and love one another like I love you, the disciples didn't get it. His followers didn't get it. He hadn't done it yet. But Jesus was about to die on a cross, on a Roman cross, which was the most horrific, horrible death you could ever imagine. I find it really hard to teach Easter in a primary school. Because it's horrible. It's, it's horrific. What, what do you tell little people about somebody dying on the cross with nails through their hands? Yuck. I was trying to share it with preps and grade ones and telling them that there was a good ending to the story so we'll sort of flip past this and get to the ending that Jesus comes back to life again. But it's hideous. It's horrible. And I can't help but thinking about the Australian guys that are in Bali how many of us have been stirred by the fact that these guys are probably going to face a firing squad? It does something to us that we're just going to take a life. It's just going to be gone. Doesn't it? Doesn't it stir us? Doesn't it make us feel sick? Doesn't it make us feel, oh, something's got to happen? Yet here we have two guys that admit they did the wrong thing. They were guilty. They know they were guilty. They deserve it, maybe. But somehow, because they've rehabilitated, they seem to be doing good things for their community, we want to be rescuing them. We value their life. They should be rescued. Could we stop it somehow? When I think of the Easter story, I think of those guys and I have a picture of Jesus coming up to them and saying, step aside, step aside. Put a cross, I don't know where it is, but... Mark me, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to take your place. You're off scot-free. I'm going to kneel in your spot. I'm going to take it. That's the sort of love Jesus was talking about. The sort of love that he said to his followers, love like me, sacrificial love, costly love, impossible love. Jesus said, take my example, follow me. And why? Why does he say to follow me? Because he says when people, when people look at you, they will know you belong to me. They will know that you're my disciples, you're my followers by the way you love. Not by the way you judge, not by the way you condemn, not because of what you believe, 
but by the way you love, by extraordinary love. The next slide, thanks Tim. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Since God loved us that much, has the Easter story become a bit too familiar that we go, yep, it happened? Or do we still go, wow, since God loved me that much, before I loved him, before I liked him, before I believed in him, before I changed my ways to be a better person, God loved me. He loved me that much. And Jesus says, if you want to have a logo that represents me, love each other in a way that is so obvious that people go, aha, that's a follower of Jesus. That person follows Jesus. Look how they love. They must be a follower of Jesus. It's a bit of a cause and effect. Jesus loves me, therefore I'm going to love others. He loves me so amazingly, so completely, it changes me that I can't help but to love others. Not because I'm paying back. I can't pay back God for what he's done. But because I'm compelled. He loves me so much I can't help. It's a cause and effect. It happens. I'm loved. I love others in God's strength. I remember when I was five. don't remember that many things before that, but I vividly remember... That was my first understanding of Jesus. I remember hearing that Jesus gave his life and I remember going, what? Gave his life? Gosh, I wouldn't give my life for anybody else. This is five-year-old thinking, remember? I wouldn't give my life for anyone else and I couldn't think of anyone else who'd give their life for me. And I remember saying to Jesus at age five, okay, you must be a good friend. I'm going to be a friend back. That's what it was. That's how it all started for me. I went, Jesus, if you gave your life, That makes you a pretty good friend. I'm going to be a friend back. How privileged am I to have journeyed since five knowing that God loved me that much. Sure, there was times I doubted it and I wondered, but to know that God loved me enough to give everything, his whole life for me, I want my life to reflect that sort of love, that sacrificial, that amazing love. You know, I want people to be able to connect the dots from the way I live to my heavenly father. I want them to go, oh, oh, maybe that's got to do with that. Maybe that person does that because of God. Maybe that person lives that way because I think they go to church and are a Jesus follower. (coughs) I hear comments like that all the time where people are being that reflection of who Jesus is. We want people to look at our lives and they say, I don't know what they believe, but gosh, I know how they love. I don't know what they believe, but gosh, they love amazingly. Things like, I got sick. I've been sick for over 12 months and I've got a neighbour across the road who cooks me dinner one night a week and has done it for over 12 months. I'm not really into the God stuff, but... 
she is. It's quite amazing. I thought she might give me a casserole for two or three nights, but you know what? It went on for over a year. If I ever want to check out God, I think I'll go and ask her. Someone else said to me, oh, I'm not religious or anything, but I once worked under a principal that called herself a Christian. She was honest. She used to come to staff meetings and sometimes tell us that she'd made a not the best decision and made a mistake and would apologise to us sometimes. She was honest. Never seen honesty like that. It would have been better just to close her mouth and not say anything, but she was honest. She was trustworthy. I'll never forget that. I've never worked under anybody quite like that before. Or maybe there's someone who said, I don't know what it is about that guy, but he's just a really nice guy. And uh, I'm not into the God stuff, but if I ever was to check out God, I think I'd go to his church. I think I'd go to his church. We need to live our lives in a way that people can connect the dots between the way we live, the way we live, the way we love, and maybe see a glimpse of God. Maybe peer in and just go, I'm going to peer in just that little bit closer. Maybe I'll take one more step closer and I'll have a look and go, oh, wow, wow, that's interesting. I didn't know God was like that. Maybe I'll take another step a bit closer and, oh, is that what God's like? People are only going to see what God's like by the way we love, by our extraordinary love. I think one thing, the one way that we mainly distort the image of God is by being judgmental. Thanks, Tim. We're not called to judge the world, but yet so often we are the ones, are we not, as followers of Jesus, finger pointing, you shouldn't, you should, don't. We're not called to do that. That's God's business, to judge. There's something called the Great Commission where Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. What we're doing this afternoon, so make sure you come. It's going to be an amazing afternoon. And thanks, Zach, for sharing this morning. Where are you? Where's he hiding? Oh, he's out with the kids. Isn't it lovely to see people's journeys and and just see what God's doing in their lives? So we're going to do this this afternoon. Sometimes we walk the Great Commission, to something like this. Go and impose my teachings and values and worldview on all nations, threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't obey everything I have commanded them. It's not what it's supposed to be. Jesus doesn't call us to come and judge the world. He calls us to love the world. Would be better to be policing ourselves, to be looking at our own lives and going, are we living the way God wants us to live? Are we living up to God's standards? I often think about it like in my home, my kids are pretty good with homework, but every now and again you go, enough's enough. Television off, computers off, internet off, homework, everybody, telephones in the kitchen, homework, let's get onto it. That's fine. That's my role as a mother. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm responsible for my kids. I love my kids. I'm encouraging them to do well at school. But it would be a little bit odd if I came to your house and knocked on the door 
and got your kids into line and turned off the television and the computers and said, okay, homework. They'd go, who are you? What have you got to do? Weird. Wouldn't that be? But yet so often we're so quick to be policing other people. Other people that didn't even sign up to be followers of Jesus. I'm signed up to follow Jesus, so I want to march to his orders. I want to follow the Bible and what it says. But you know what? If I haven't signed up to Jesus, why would I be living like him? Why would I? We need to be careful that we're not policing everybody else, especially those that haven't signed up and said, I'm following Jesus. There's plenty of good ways to live from the Bible, even if you're not a follower of Jesus. But let's be careful who we're pointing the finger at. Jesus calls us to love, not to power over people. He says they will know, they will know you are my followers by the way you love, by the way you love. You know, I think what should happen is the brokenness of our world should break our hearts rather than make us angry. Thanks, Tim. Sometimes we get angry about the things we see in our world. But rather, I think it should break our hearts. Have you ever wondered why people who were nothing like Jesus hung out with Jesus? Like the clip we saw earlier. Tax collectors, prostitutes, people that didn't live anything like him or his teachings, but they hung out with him. Why? Because he loved them. He cared about them. He believed in them. He gave them second, third, more chances than you could imagine. And we need to carry that tension between truth and grace. Remember Troy talked about it when we started the whole thing of brand Jesus, that tug of war. We can't let any of them go. Can't let truth go, but we also can't let grace go. It's that tug of war, that pull. We need both, both happening at the same time. We need to carry that tension It's not about abandoning or compromising our faith. It's not about that at all, but it's filtering. It's filtering what we believe through that filter of love. In Romans it says, Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbour, you will fulfil the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet, all these must not, must not, shall not, shall. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbour as yourself. We're not throwing out what we believe or what's true, but we're filtering it through the filter of love. We need to realise that every person we meet Jesus loves them as much as he loves us. Every single person we meet, Jesus loves as much as he loves us. Even our worst enemies. Even those that have hurt us the most. Think about that. That's not necessarily easy to take. Jesus loves everybody we meet as much as he loves us. It's hard to filter through that filter of love. When I was living in the States, I remember one thing that used to really annoy me was the placarding against abortion clinics. 
some of the signs people would write and stand up outside of those clinics were horrific. It probably happened more in America than it does here. And I remember thinking, I can see how you value life and you want to value it and these are your opinions, but don't batter women who are in such a tough, difficult situation. How do you hold true to what you believe but yet give grace? And I remember being a part of an organisation called the Crisis Pregnancy Centre, which was a centre that was open for anybody who found themselves in a crisis pregnancy, unwanted pregnancy, could come in, talk to someone, be supported, be encouraged, loved, whatever their opinion, whatever their decision, no strings attached. And there was this lady, an 83-year-old grandmother who used to knit booties because she valued life and she said I want to knit booties for babies that have never even been born yet so they know that somebody loved them somebody wanted them somebody prayed for them and she would knit booties endless amounts of booties to give away to these young mums that's still holding true a value but acting through a filter of love not being condemning, not being judgmental, but loving in ways that people join the dots and go, that's a follower of Jesus. There was another guy called Ed Silvaso who was an evangelist in South America and in their particular town there was a major problem with prostitution. Well, as a Christian man, he probably had fairly specific views on prostitution but through the filter of love rather than placarding and judging They set up a beauty clinic that offered discounted or very low-priced beauty therapies for prostitutes. Why? Because they wanted to show that they loved them and they cared for them. So these prostitutes would come in and have their hair done, their nails done, beautified before they went off to work and in the process they got to know other people that loved Jesus. And over time, over about five years' time, prostitution in that city dramatically changed. Why? Because they saw people love them. They saw people love them. Jesus says, you will know my followers by the way they love. By the way they love. This isn't easy. At times it's really complicated. At times it's really hard. It's much easier to judge and point a finger. But Jesus calls us to love. I'm wondering this morning, who is it that Jesus might be asking you to extraordinarily love? We can't love everybody, but who is it in your community, in your home, in your neighbourhood, in your school, in your church community? Who is it that Jesus is asking you to love extraordinarily? I remember when I was about 18, I got a tap on the shoulder from God saying, you need to love your dad. I remember going, "Uh uh-uh, nope, not my dad. He left. He left me when I was 12. He visited me a few times. Not my dad. That's too hard, God. And we had this little conversation that went something like this. But you pray for him every day. Yep, yep, I'll pray for him. I'm happy to pray for him, but that's about as far as it goes. 
But Bron, you pray that he'll know me. How's that going to happen? Ah, good question. Good question. Well, he hangs out in the pubs all the time and the Selvos. Selvos hang out in the pub. A Selvo can tell my dad about you. They'll do it. They'll do a really good job, but not me. Not me. And I kept getting that tap on the shoulder. Need to love your dad. And I remember going with my sister. We must have been 18 or 19. Driving up to the commission flats in Windsor. Finding the number, knocking on the door and the door opened. And I remember looking at this person going, oh, sorry, about to say, sorry, I think I've got the wrong, wrong room. And I looked twice and I went, that's my dad. Nearly didn't, didn't recognise him. An alcoholic, lost his job, everything that I didn't want a dad to be. Felt like closing the door and going home and never going back. But, but, but I had the tap on the shoulder, go and love your dad. So my sister and I, over time, kept visiting my dad, got to know my dad, great bloke, great bloke. And I'm very, very grateful for the time God gave me to love my dad. And even though he was everything that I didn't want in a dad, so different to me, so different to my lifestyle, it was Jesus tapping me on the shoulder and saying, I want you to go back and love your dad. To the point, my dad came to know Jesus before he died. And I thank God that I was privileged enough to be a part of being a glimpse of what he was like to my dad. I'm just wondering, who, who is God tapping on your shoulder to say, I want you to love that person? may not be easy. There's no guarantee that they'll change, they'll be different, that they'll follow Jesus. That's not what it's on about. Jesus says, don't love them because this is the end result. He just says, love them. Who is it? Who is it that God's tapping on your shoulder and saying, will you love that person? If it seems too hard, I want you to picture Jesus dying on the cross. That was too hard. That was costly. It was horrific. Who is Jesus tapping you on the shoulder to love? Some people, we need to have boundaries and we can't be the one to love them. I get that. Sometimes we have to go, no, I've got to look after myself. I've got to be safe. I don't think Jesus taps you on the shoulder to love those people. But who is it? I believe in providential relationships. Sometimes God just puts us in places to love someone, to be there for someone. I've been complaining for a while. I lost my lovely neighbours a few months ago. We loved our neighbours. They were fantastic. We had a gate to get in and out of their house. We borrowed milk every second day. I don't know why we ran out of milk, but we did. They ran out of milk. We'd go backwards and forwards in our dressing gowns and slippers. It was just great. We loved our neighbours. They moved. I kept complaining about it. Why did they go? And then just the other day while I was preparing this, bing, God said to me, have you ever thought that maybe I put them there? 
for you to love. Someone new. Maybe they had enough loving. I've moved them on. New neighbours. Who's your neighbour? Who's God put in your life to love? Another friend I've been praying with for a nephew who lives in another country who's got himself into terrible trouble. His whole life has been terrible trouble. And we just keep praying and praying and praying, God, would you bring somebody to him? Would you bring someone to mentor him, to love him, to believe in him, to give him a picture of how life could be different? We've been praying for years and years and years. And my friend's been writing letters backwards and forwards. This guy's been in and out of jail. He's just been charged again and waiting for another trial. Probably will go back to jail. He's just written back this week. I went to church. We're excited. We've got, oh God, please, where's that person we've been praying for for years and years and years to just encourage this guy and love him? Have you ever thought that you might be an answer to someone's prayer? Someone's mother praying for their son, their daughter? Have you ever thought you might be sitting in an office desk next to somebody else that you might be an answer to prayer? That person needs to be loved. No strings attached. Not to change them. Not to make them different. Just to love them. Because Jesus said if there was one trademark, one brand, one logo, one one thing to represent me, it's extraordinary love. The hard stuff, the tough stuff, the stuff that hurts. So I want to challenge you this morning. I want you to grab your little cards, those little white cards. Everyone, I want you to grab one and a pen. And I want you to write down a name. Who is it that God might want you to extraordinary love? You may already be loving them. Who is it? Who is it? You can't love everybody. You can't spread yourself that thin. But who could it be? You know what? I don't mind if we get no prayer requests and no feedback from this Sunday's message. I'd rather you put a name on that card and put it in your pocket or go, God, who is it? I need to pray a bit more. Who might it be? Or maybe you're here this morning and you go, you know what? I feel a bit damaged by followers of Jesus. I've been hurt. I've been judged. I want to pray this morning that maybe you will see God's extraordinary love for you. We're all damaged. We're all broken. We've all made mistakes. God loves us extraordinarily. So I want you to write on your little card a name and I want you to put it in your pocket or your purse. Imagine what we could do as a community, extraordinarily loving people. And I can just picture looking through those windows at the back. How many people are going to be peering in and going, is that what Jesus is like? Is that what Jesus is like? Let people connect the dots between the way we live, our extraordinary love, and our Heavenly Father.